Good morning. Is Eric in here? No. Eric often mentions, oh, there you are, often mentions uh, about being a little nervous. I started speaking in the pulpit in about 95, helping Pastor Radke, uh, Tom, and then spoke from 2001 till 18 or 19, whatever it was, and I'm still nervous. When uh, Gus asked me if I would speak or was willing to speak, uh, we were out at camp, and I said, well, in, in, when he needed or in, to help. And I said, but I want to warn you, at my age, when I go to the doctor, they give me a cognitive test. <laughs> Just so you know. All right. Uh, last time I spoke, uh, I spoke on Article 14 of our doctrinal statement. And it describes dispensations, our belief in dispensations or a dispensational approach to the Bible. I want to go off, take off from there, and uh, talk about uh, things to come, eschatology, the study of things to come. And so we'll be doing that, but let's pause for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for all that you've given. Just guide and direct as we look into your word. We thank you that uh, you seek to reveal your plans and purposes for us. You seek to reveal uh, the riches riches of your great character and of your precious son and uh, the way of salvation and how this will all work out. Uh, We pray you give us understanding that the Spirit of God would direct so that these things would sink in and and, uh, be lodged in our mind so that as we go about our daily lives, we would have these things in our thinking and live in light of them. To the glory of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh-oh. Cognitive test. Uh, thing went off. What do I have to do? See, he told me how to do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> it went blank. Good. Oh, there. It's not blank. Let's see if we can. Can't see, can't do this. There we go. All this is different as well. We used to have an overhead projector and I'd draw on and I would doodle during the whole service. So, All right. So if we're thinking about eschatology or things that are come on the basis of what would we uh, be able to know we can understand, in Isaiah it says, uh, I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. And here's where we get, catch our, our for the uh, eschatology. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I make known this. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And so uh, the message title, since Gus likes that or does that, is coming soon. Now, before we look at what's coming soon, 
I want to back up a little bit to the idea of uh, the dispensations and kind of put things into focus. I'm a carpenter, and so when I look at a blueprint, I want to see what the project looks like, what, what the completed is, and then break down and look at the different uh, parts of that. And so this represents a timeline. I did this before when I spoke on dispensations. And if we were to draw the earth on there, we could draw it as just a small part in this long time, lo- time zone. Uh, could make it smaller, but then it wouldn't be seen. And so that represents the earth or the world as we know it. And we have eternity past and eternity future. Uh, in the beginning was God. So in the beginning of human history, beginning of the world, was God. That's an imperfect verb, meaning from that beginning, God was going back into eternity. And we have then in Genesis, uh, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then we have in Revelations, as we think of the Bible, and God telling us uh, what's going on and what's going to come on, is Revelations 21. We see that I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And so this is this time frame that God's working in, in terms of this present world, and we need to understand that and see where we fit in. Now, the objective is this eternal kingdom. When we think about, a, 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 as a carpenter, we think about a building project or when I built my house. Um, I worked full-time. I came home when I worked on the house, building a house. And it wasn't just because I just loved to work all the time, because I don't. It was because by putting this effort in at this time, I could build a home for my family, which we could enjoy for years. Um, If you're thinking of a a, a cook or a baker, you're putting all these ingredients in to make make something. Uh, The process is to bring about a result, uh, cookies or, or whatever you're making. So we do things to get an end result. And the end result that God is seeking to do and will do is his eternal kingdom, which will have him and his creation, those that have believed, that have, as we think of people, we have free volition and, and uh, a soul, and we, we will be able to be with him forever. That's the objective of what's going on in time right now. But time is limited as we think of this earth. Now, over the course uh, of this period between Genesis 1 and Revelations 2, we have what God has revealed as dispensations or ways that he's approached advancing his project, advancing this building program. Now, shortly, you can get a tape on dispensations. You can look in major Bible themes. If you have Schofield Bible, you can study on that, and there's many other. But a dispensation basically speaks of a a set of rules given by God to produce a state approved of God for earthly living during a period of time. The first one we have was conscience, and when God created Adam and Eve, uh, they were to enjoy him. And they are given freedom and liberties in the Garden of Eden and all that they needed in in great abundance. And they were given one restriction, one test, if you would. They were not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or they would surely die, death there, separation from God. And so we know that they sinned. And so the first 
dispensation of innocence where they were innocent, where they, 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 where they were being tested and hadn't been established uh, good or evil. They were not perfectly right. They weren't plus righteous or minus. They were just uh, de- determined. And so Adam sinned. And so God had to change his, and he knew this, but God changed his approach in dealing with man. After Adam's sin, all men were born in sin. Romans 5.12 says that, by the way, just, uh, for by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and death passed upon all men. So God promised at that time to send a redeemer. It's all part of his plan from the, uh, before he created. And he said he would send the Satan bruiser, someone to have victory over Satan. Satan was involved in this. And a savior for mankind. In the age of conscience, man then was to understand their need for salvation, trust in the promises of God for a redeemer, and live by good conscience unto God. And so dispensations changed under different conditions. As a nation, as a people grew, uh, God singled out Abraham and said, I will make of you a great nation and I will communicate and essentially use you to communicate or uh, reflect me and you'll be a holy nation. And so things changed and he operated in that dispensations and you'll find the Bible directed towards that. Then as we get to the uh, law and Christ there, we find that uh, the Jews as a nation and the leadership there uh, rejected Jesus Christ when he came. The, the kingdom was at hand. They called for his crucifixion and God knew this and so he was delivered to the cross. And there he died for our sins. God executed this just demand of death against us on his son, and he paid for our debt. Uh, he said it was finished. He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and he rose again. And then we find the church, and we find a part of God's plan that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but was revealed then. And 40 days after Christ died, he rose. 40 days he walked on earth. 10 days uh, he ascended into heaven. 10 days later, the church age began, 33 A.D., about. And so that's the dispensation that we're looking at. Now we have future there. And the arrows, uh, oops, I didn't, I'm sorry. There, did that help? The arrows there, um, uh, right here, show a period of seven years called the tribulation. And we're sitting in this area here in the age of grace, if I could hold it still, there. All right. So we want to look at this, and the next great event that has been foretold by God is uh, the rapture. So we look at this, and we have in our, dispens- in our doctrinal statements, we have dispensationalism, which we talked about uh, back in August a year ago. It seemed closer than that to me, but uh, then, then we have the blessed hope. That'll be followed by the tribulation, and then the second coming of Christ to the earth. So we look at this and we have our blessed hope here. We that we believe, as we think of the church and the doctrines that it stands on, and we should individually but collectively, this would be our position. We believe that according to the word of God, the next great event in the fulfillment of prophecy will be the coming of the Lord in the air to receive to himself into heaven both his own who are alive and remain unto his coming, and also 
who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Fallen asleep would be physically died. The soul doesn't die. It goes on forever. And for the believer that has placed his faith in Christ, his soul will be, soul spirit will be with God, will be with Christ. And uh, the soul spirit of unbelievers will be separated and ultimately uh, placed into the lake of fire. But this blessed hope, this event is the blessed hope set before us in scriptures. And for this, we should be constantly looking. Now, we want to look at these verses. And for many of you, this is like, I know all this. And you, and you do. Peter writes in his, his epistle that, I know you know these things, but I write them to bring, stir up your mind by way of remembrance. And I write them so that you'll always have them. And, and as we'd have for teaching uh, future. So being grounded in these doctrines, as we think of the doctrinal statements uh, in our, uh, yeah, this, the articles in our doctrinal statement is, is good for us. It's good for us to review them, to be uh, encouraged by them again. And so we want to look at, start with the key passages as we look there, and there's others, but these are uh, what we have in this doctrinal statement. So let's go to John 14. Now to give you a setting, most of you know it. Some of you this is probably new. Some of this stuff is new. Some of you is like uh, you could get up here and, and, and teach it yourself. But we have at the end of Christ's living and ministry on earth uh, a gathering in the upper room in, in Jerusalem and he's having, celebrating the, the, the Passover. This will be the Last Supper with his disciples. And the, his appointment for the cross is, is close, within a few days. And so he's gathered them together. And uh, if you look at verse 21, uh, he's talking to them and just to lay the groundwork. He says, And when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. He goes on and reveals it that it's Judas. Uh, verse 26, um, verse, verse 25. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a sop uh, when I have dipped it. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas. Now Judas then leaves, and he goes to betray Christ. And so we drop down to verses uh, 31. Therefore, when he has gone out, sorry, Don't probably need it. Yeah, there. All right. <coughs> All right. <coughs> Excuse me. He had gone out. So then we drop down to verse 31. 
Now therefore, when he has gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Let's drop down to... um, Oh, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and he gives instructions. Verse 36, Simon Peter says, Lord, whither, is thou go, whither, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, whither I go, thou cannot, canst not follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterward. And then Peter, Peter says he wants to follow, and we have God, uh, Jesus telling about him, denying him. But cha- chapter 14 then, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Now he had told them all uh, uh, for some period of time that he would go to Jerusalem, he was going to be crucified. The Messiah, Savior, needed to die for man's sins. And so this was a concept that was, they struggled to kept comprehend because the Jews looked for a Messiah king. And they wanted the kingdom to be ushered in. And so they struggled with this. And now he's telling them, I'm leaving. And you can't come with me now. Verse 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, think about this blessed hope. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's leaving, he's going to come again, and he's going to receive them unto himself, that they may be with him where he is. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know, and they don't grasp this either. And so Thomas says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we have this promise to these uh, believers here. Now the church age doesn't begin until after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascending of the Holy Spirit, but they will be part of that church age, and he's talking about that. Uh, it would be very disheartening to them that Christ would be leaving, and the grasping of his death on the cross uh, took some time to be absorbed by them. And so we have this promise here. Now, if we would move on then to First Thessalonians uh, 4.13. Now, Paul talks about this blessed hope here, this Lord's return. Now, the setting of this is that when Paul was on his second missionary journey, uh, he had gone to Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts 17. And he had... Uh, spent three Sabbaths there. Uh, so that would be three Saturdays, Sundays, whatever, Sabbaths, whatever. And he had taught them. So it seems that it was maybe around a three-week period that he was there. 
And men had gotten, people had gotten saved. And the opposition, the unsaved Jews and whoever, uh, were very upset with him. And so they wanted to kill Paul. And it got so hostile that they had some trouble with where Paul had been staying. And then it was determined that Paul should leave. So Paul and Silas left and Timothy stayed there, as I understand it. Paul and Silas then went to Berea, town down the road, some distance, but not terrible far. And he began to teach there. The, the unsaved Jews, or those that were hostile in Thessalonica, uh, heard he was down there preaching, and so they went down there, and they wanted to kill him. And so it became necessary for Paul to leave. Now Silas stayed there. Paul went on to Athens and then to Corinth. And so when, uh, and, and then Silas and Timothy caught up with him, and we'll say they caught up in Corinth with him. And so Timothy gave his report about how they were doing, and he praised them or about how they were standing for the Lord. But they had a question here about the rapture. Now, it's interesting that in this short period of time, as he taught the gospel, maybe it's not so, maybe it's just that's the way it would be, is that he had taught them about uh, the resurrection, or it would have been the resurrection, and the, and the, and the uh, hope, or the blessed hope of the rapture, that the Lord is coming. And so if you look at it, back up, if you just flip the page to First Thessalonians, I assume you're there, uh, he commands them, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. And we look at this, and we look at verse 10 as he continues, and we think focusing in on this idea of their understanding of the blessed hope and this uh, great thing that we're waiting for. Verse 10, he says, and, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, he delivered, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, often the wrath to come is referring to the tribulation. But we can say the whole salvation package, if you would. But let's go to First um, Thessalonians chapter two. Now, in verse uh, seventeen, he explains how he had been forced out of town. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. So he didn't go back, at least at this point. Then he goes, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? <clears throat> what? he's referring to is here he'd given the gospel these people have gotten saved and now he's saying my joy my rejoicing is that these people would be with him when the rapture occurs 
that they would be gathered together, they're part of the family of God, and they would be part of this eternal kingdom to come. There's other aspects in the future, but that's what he's rejoicing in. And you think about what impact we could have if we are instrumental in giving the gospel, we take part in that person's salvation. The salvation is of God. The person receives it by faith. But what greater joy would there be than to be with the Lord and see amongst them those that had gotten saved? You'd been useful in doing that. That'd be, that'd be great. But he talks about this. Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Looking again, they understand about his coming. Now we jump to chapter 14. And we look at 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now asleep are those who have physically died. Believers in the church age, and as we think of this reference here. Now, there was great persecution in Thessalonica, and they wanted to kill Paul. Uh, it hadn't been too long, maybe a few months, my guess, whatever, uh, since he had been there. And they were concerned about those who had died. How, how, did that, how does that fit together with this blessed hope the Lord's coming will be caught up to meet him in the air? And you can't help but think, well, people physically die because of different reasons or if this persecution had caused some to die, but for some reason uh, they were concerned about this. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this concerning those who have physically died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, Wednesday, Dave Samuelson went to be with the Lord. Good friend, yours. And there is a sorrow in his passing, in his departure from us, in his no longer being a companion. But there is great comfort in the fact that he had trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and when he breathed his last breath, he went to be with the Lord. It tells us in Second um, Corinthians 5, for a believer to be absent from the body is present to the Lord. The moment a believer dies, he moves from here to the presence of God soul and spirit. He leaves his physical body behind. Thus he is said to be asleep, physically dead. But he says, we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We have this great blessed hope, this great confidence through the work of Jesus Christ. So he says, for if we believe, or for, now this is a basis of our hope, for since we believe, speaking to believers, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the gospel, Christ died for sins, buried, rose again. Victory there. He accomplished what was needed. Because we believe this, even so them also, which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. And so we have this imagery 
of the, you look here and you have the, the Lord's return, the second coming right there, the rapture, It'd be right here. And the imagery is the Lord is coming back, just as we saw in John, and he is coming to receive his own. Now, those that have physically died during the church age, uh, dear, dear friends, relatives, Leonard Radke, Dave Samuelson, and you can make the list. Their soul spirit will come with him. They don't have the glorified body, but they'll come with him. And so he is going to bring them back. This is going to be one big gathering of all church-age believers, at which time we will receive a glorified body. Whether we have physically died and are come with him, or whether we're alive and remain. And so we read on. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, uh, that would be us today, we which are alive and remain, uh, unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. We shall not hinder this operation. Uh, the new king, let's see if I found it here. I thought I had it. But it reads, yeah. We aren't going to prevent, we aren't going to stop anything in this operation. It doesn't affect it in any negative way. For we say, for this we say, verse 15, unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, hinder, uh, interfere in any manner uh, with them, them which are asleep. Because this is how it's going down. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's going to come back to receive us unto himself. And he just gives different additional descriptions. With the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, he'll come back and there will be this sounding, if you would, of his coming. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Rise first. Uh, those that souls, spirit that come with him will receive a glorified body. They will be connected to a glorified body, a new body that is made for eternity. No more corruption, no more mortality. And it'll be a glorified body so that they can live in the presence of God for all eternity. Not only in the thousand years to come, but in the eternal kingdom. It's a glorified body. That's what they'll get. But then we, which are alive and remain, verse 17, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And again, we find this taking place in the air. Now, the caught up is carried off, plucked off, snatched away. Uh, we use the word rapture. The word is not found in Scripture. It, it is the English translation of the Latin verb, which means uh, caught up. We will be caught up. At, at this point when the Son of God comes back in the air, we that are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with him, ever be with the Lord. This is our blessed hope. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, we have the connection there. 
God is revealing the plan. You don't find anything about this in the Old Testament because this has all to do with the church age, the new, the, uh, the, this church age that was revealed after his death, burial, resurrection. Uh, the church age is a unique. It's not Israel. It's nothing to do with Israel in, in that sense. It is the bride of Christ. It is a heavenly nation, a peculiar people. And so it has a, we, we that are saved in this church age are part of a unique part of God's plan with a unique special relationship to Jesus Christ. Not Israel, the people of God, Israel promise earth, eternal kingdom on earth uh, or the millennial kingdom, that, well, the kingdom on earth. We are part of this heavenly nation. It's incredible, the blessed position that we have, the great opportunity. Now, if you go to uh, the other, another reference here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the reference in, in our uh, doctrinal statement is, is verses 51 and 52, where we find more information, but I kind of want to go through this chapter a little bit. Now, the subjects covered in this are the foundational truths of the gospel, which focus on the fact and reality of the bodily resurrection of Christ. It, it focuses on his death in the sense that that's, part of the gospel that was needed. He died for his sins. And then it focuses on his res- resurrection, which becomes the subject of chapter 15. So let's just read uh, chapter 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, he's talking to believer, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, just stop there for a minute. I mentioned this already. I'll mention it again. When Adam sinned, it had a universal consequence, universal effect. We were born in Adam. We were born separated from God because of Adam's sins. His sin was imputed to us. We inherited the sin nature, so we were alienated and separated from God. We are by nature sinners and unrighteous. And we cannot save ourselves. Uh, it's reflected, this sinful problem, by our personal sin. And even the human good that we do is flawed because of the motivation behind it, which is of the sin nature. And so we can do nothing good. The wage of sin, or the condemnation of sin, was death, separation from God, which would be carried out on us if we don't get saved or if there's no salvation by eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So God provided a solution He's the only one that could do it. I could not die for your sins and pay your debt since I'm a sinner. There would be no payment. I couldn't even pay for my own. Even if you had a righteous man with no sin and he died for 
men, you could maybe get a one-to-one ratio or something. That's just, but that's nonsense. The only way that there could be a payment that's satisfying is if the very Son of God left the glories of heaven and took on the form of a man to die in man's place. A unique God-man. He is the Son of God who was born into this world to become our Savior, and he took on the form of a man, and he became submissive, placed himself in subjection to God the Father as they carried out this plan which would ultimately bring about the eternal kingdom. But in it, it was necessary that a way of salvation be paid. So when Christ was about 33, a little older than that, he was delivered to the cross. Now the Jews called for his crucifixion. We have evil men doing evil things, but God allowing this to bring forth his son and have him nailed to the cross to show before all men this sacrifice that he would make. While on the cross, God took your sins. God took my sins. He took all the sins of all mankind and he placed them on Jesus Christ and he became a substitutionary sacrifice for us. As he hung on the cross, he was separated. He experienced a separation from God that had never been as we think of the Trinity. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced a death in a realm that we probably just simply cannot grasp. And as he hung there, he said, as time went on, it is finished, paid in full. That's what that means, paid in full. And he had, through his sacrifice, and even unto death, paid the debt of all men's sins for all time. God looked at the travail of his soul and was satisfied. This sacrifice that he made was greater in the sight of God than all the injustices of men or all the sin of men. And so God was fully satisfied that that debt was taken care of in the legal and judicial sense. And Christ died on the cross, was buried. Third day he rose again. We'll read about that more as showing his victory over sin and death, satisfaction of God, and the power of life. And on the basis of that, God, who is a just God and a righteous God and a loving God, could now offer to men salvation as a gift paid for by his Son. And he honors your free volition. And so each man, born in Adam, born under sin, now has by way of their own free volition, the ability to trust in Christ and be saved. They have that ability to reject it and spend eternity separated from God. It isn't a matter of what we do. It is a matter of what the Son of God did. It isn't a sin question. It's a son question. And so he sets before each one of us the opportunity to be saved by simply placing our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the work is done. The offer's on the table, and it's up to you whether you take it or not. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten Son. He sent his Son to be our Savior, and he became obedient even to the death of the cross to pay for the debt of your sins. He gave his Son... So that 
whosoever believeth in him should not perish, so that he could freely offer salvation to all men. No one deserves it but a gift from God, and that we would not perish. I was perishing before I heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ. And then I was forgiven my sins and given the gift of eternal life and became a child of God. And I have this blessed hope that the Lord is coming and I will be caught up to meet him in the air. And should, I, should he tarry and I physically die, then I will come with him when he comes. But I'll be there by the grace of God. Choice is yours. And this is a message that he wants us to share with the lost and dying world. Because his objective is to build this eternal kingdom and to habitat it with, have it habitated with or occupied with uh, people who have gotten saved on earth who believed in Christ and have become children of God. And so that's the first portion. We see that after he died, verse 4, that he, was, uh, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to Scripture, that he was seen as Cephas. He was seen above 500 at one time, so many of those were still alive at the time. You could, they could have gone and asked them. And then they were seen of James and then all the apostles and then seen of Paul uh, out of due time. In the next portion, 12 through 22, uh, there are some who are arguing about the resurrection. And verse 12 uh, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, now say, how say some of you that there's no resurrection of the dead? And then he goes through this. If there's no resurrection, we have no hope. The importance of the resurrection of the gospel is critical. If Christ died for our sins, it was said to be died for our sins and is in the ground dead and buried, then what hope do we have there? But in the fact that he rose again, we have this demonstration of his power and, his, and, and the completeness of his work. And so we look at verse uh, 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is, in, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And the importance of that can't be understated. Then we have connection with this. I hope the connection makes sense to you. But the order of the bodily resurrection of the saints. Verse 20. Now... But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. We think of the first fruit offerings. Uh, when they had a harvest, they would take the first of the fruits and they'd offer it to, as a sacrifice or as a, to, to the Lord it, it, with the expectation that this was the first of the harvest and there was going to be a bounty. The first fruit of the resurrection is Jesus Christ. The bounty is coming. For since, for since by man came death, that's Adam, and by man came the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, based on this opportunity to believe in Christ and by the power of God. 
Verse 23, but every man in his own order. Now, we talked about dispensations. That's why I included in this. There is an order that God has established for a bodily resurrection of believers throughout the ages. And it isn't all at the same time. There is an order. And so we read on. Christ the first fruits, and we'll stop there. And we, well, we'll put this up. So the first of the resurrection, the preeminent one, is Jesus Christ. And he rose, we have a bodily resurrection. Then it says, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. And so we looked at the resurrection of church eight saints at his coming of the air. And so those at his coming, as we envision this, him coming in the air, and uh, souls and spirits of Christian uh, church-age believers with him, uh, they receiving their body, and we which are alive caught up, and we'll be all, all have a glorified body. We also see that uh, the Bible teaches two separate stages. We know about this as we had our diagram. Christ is going to return in the air prior to the tribulation. Christ is going to return to the earth after the tribulation as he uh, reclaims the earth, establishes his kingdom. And so there will be a bodily resurrection at that time. So the first stage is, comes, uh, is the rapture of the church when Christ comes for his saints, 1 Thessalonians 4. The second stage is seven years later when Christ returns to the earth with his saints, and you can read about that in Revelations 19, 7 and 8 at which time the Old Testament saints will experience their bodily resurrection. Now, to support that, uh, we have Daniel 12, 1 and 2, and Job. Daniel is talking about, uh, prophesizing about Jewish-related, Jew-related, Jewish-related things. He talks about uh, the when they were in, that they were going to be captivity, that there would be uh, Gentile powers that would rule over Israel. And then at, 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 as Rome was listed in, the, in there, then, then after that we have Israel that's disbanded as far as a nation. And then it's reestablished later, which then will set up what Daniel calls the seven-year tribulation. But we have during this period the tribulation, or at that, at that time frame, Daniel 12, 1 and 3. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble. What is that? That's the tribulation. Such as never was seen, there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. At the end of the uh, tribulation. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Many of them shall sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake some to everlasting life at the beginning of the thousand-year reign. Old Testament saints will be resurrected, and they will have their bodily resurrection. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, David will be resurrected at that time because their blessed hope was a kingdom established on earth, with the Messiah reigning. Some to shame and everlasting contempt, an unbeliever, unbelieving Jew, will be raised at the end of the thousand years, and they will have a stand before the great white throne, and they will give a, be given a body 
that is fit for their eternal destination of the lake of fire, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And they will exist in that sphere forever. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever, uh, I believe to be encouragement to serve God. Not all will shine as brightness as we think of all believers. In Job, Job wasn't a Jew. Job was probably around the same time uh, Abraham, but there's no way of different. Everybody speculates this, but he's not Jew. And he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. This man knew about the promise of the Savior, and that was his expectation. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the later day, latter day upon the earth. What was his expectation? A bodily resurrection on earth, similar to Abraham's. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, after I've been in the grave and there is nothing left but dirt, ashes, whatever, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job says, I will, after I have physically died, stand upon the earth and see my Redeemer with the prospect or the, the, the knowledge of eternal life with him. Not the knowledge about the church age, not a knowledge even maybe about the eternal kingdom, but the knowledge that the kingdom would be established on earth and he would be a part of it. And it would be for eternity. And so we look at this and we see as the drawing indicates, you have the Old Testament saints uh, being bodily resurrected there. New Testament saints before the church, before the tribulation. We see the unsaved from all ages as we think of those to shame and such at the great white throne. Now, we have the resurrection along with that. We have the resurrection of the tribu tribulation period saints. Now, the seven-year period of tribulation, people will get saved. But it will be a horrendous time, time like no one has ever seen before. Persecution will be great. And believers will die during that time. Not all believers, but believers will die. Some believers will make it. The, the, the gospel, the blessed hope set before them at that time is that uh, from the time that the Antichrist signs the covenant with Israel, that they have a seven-year clock going and the Lord's going to return. And the blessed hope is the Lord's going to return in seven years. If we make it to the seven years, we'll enter that eternal kingdom. But they won't all. They'll be martyred. So they'll be physically die. They'll be with the Lord. According to Revelations, we'll see them not with a glorified body. Then we will see them resurrected at the beginning of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennium, excuse me. And they will enjoy that promise that was set before them. Their promise is not to be part of the church. Not, not a heavenly nation. There's just for that earthly uh, kingdom. And so that'll take place. But we read that as we think of this. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward them that are Christ that is coming, coming in the air, coming on earth. Then cometh the end. We back up here a second. 
then cometh the end. And we could say that this is the end of the ages right here. And then we have the bodily resurrection of them. And what happens there is a great white throne. Judgment is on these. And they're condemned because of their unbelief. But there's judgment and based on what they do. How that works out, God knows. And then it'll be the end of evil. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. And he will deliver up the end. He will deliver up. And we will have this new heaven and new earth, this glorious eternal kingdom that was the ultimate goal of God. And we that have believed and have trusted trusted in Christ will be part of that. That's coming. And so is the Lord coming in the air. And so we have this uh, set before us. Now, we have... uh, in back to Corinthians, we have different portions and the knowledge and hope of the bodily resurrection motivates one to serve God. And we have in Second Corinthians, well, maybe I have that coming up. I have that coming up. Um, we'll get to that. Uh, chapter 4, we, five, uh, no, point 5, we have information about the new type of resurrected body. And he talks about this being mortal, this being corruptible, it'll be immortal, it'll be glorified, it'll be incorruptible, and it'll be a heavenly body. Fit for all eternity. No more, no more herniated discs, no more artificial parts in your neck, no more cancer, no more whatever, whatever ails you. No more. No more dentists. All kinds of wonderful things besides being in the presence of God forever. And so we have that. Now we want to look at verse 51 because our subject is this rapture. Now he talked about the order of the resurrect, bodily resurrection. That's going to take place. Everyone will be resurrected from the dead. The unbelief will be resurrected and judged and cast into the lake of fire. But the rest of us be part of that eternal kingdom. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, mystery is something that was hidden in times past that's now revealed in, as we look at it in scriptures. And this rapture, this church age was hidden in times past, but this is revealed. He'd revealed it to the Thessalonians, and Paul, uh, Jesus had talked about it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, but we shall all be changed. You may not physically die as a believer, but you will have a bodily change that will make you fit for the eternal kingdom. That is based on the work and promises of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Since he died and rose again, and he reveals his plan, this is what will take place. And he goes on and he says, as we think of the twinkling in the eye, and keep in mind Thessalonians, the Lord will appear in the air and he'll bring with him the spirits, the souls of those who have uh, physically died with him. This will be a twinkling of an eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and this is similar to what was in Thessalonians, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We that are alive will be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. We cannot be mortal, corruptible bodies and be part of that eternal kingdom. It'll be a glorified body. So then he says in going on, and we have the bodily resurrection is our victory over death through Christ. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, so when this has taken place, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will enjoy that victory of a resurrection from the dead if we have died or a bodily change. We will enjoy that. And that is the next event on the calendar of events of God. Now, verse 58, Therefore, we be- my beloved brethren, speaking to believers, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Now, I think that I have the verse up there, but I lost, I'm off on my notes, so here we go. Second Corinthians 5.16, he says, And we know that in this earthly, earthly house is dissolved, that we'll have a new one. And he says that, Absent from the body is present to the Lord. Verse 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, while we're here, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul wrote, that is a far greater thing We hang on to the things of this world. We are to enjoy them. But to be absent from this body and presence of the Lord is a far greater thing. What we have in store for us is far better than anything that we have on earth. Far better. It's a blessed hope to deliver. We're in a war zone. Turn on the news. Go to the doctor. We're in a war zone. And it's a battle for the souls of men. It's a battle for the glory of God. And we are confident in saying, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Not in terms of our positional standing, we're children of God. But that we have utilized our life, this opportunity, the grace that God gave us with this holy calling that we could be partakers of his divine nature in a practical way, enjoy fellowship with him, be filled with the Spirit, and then carry out his work and ministry as we would seek to reach the lost and share the gospel. And we would minister to the saints to encourage them as we battle together for the glory of God. That's what our lives should be focused in on. Those are the things that have redeeming value. And he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is often referred to the Bema Seat. Bema, and it's, it's stated in the, in the Greek, uh, if you look at Greek text, Bema. We think of it as judgment, but the best way to think of it is this, this is not a judgment of sin. This is a judgment of your 
response to the grace of God in allowing him to use you in service to God. And you can think of the Olympics where you have the peers there where you have third place, second, first. And this is the opportunity we have to serve. He says we could hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Peter, I think it is, the trials of our faith uh, as we respond by faith uh, could be, would be received by, with praise, honor, and glory from Christ that is coming. We could have that joy that Paul talked about. And are you not there in the presence of the Lord? These things will count. These things are everlasting. These things are to the glory of God. And we will all stand before the Lord, and he is going to reward. This is a doctrine of rewards. We don't have time to get into that today. And this will take place after the rapture when we're in that seven-year tribulation, where there will be this reward ceremony for how you responded to your opportunity to serve God according to where he placed you, whether it be a wife in her ministry to her husband and children and community or pastor or whatever. He's going to evaluate how we use this grace of God to live for the glory of God here. He says, I come quickly and I bring my reward with you to give to those accordingly. That every man may receive of the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or useless. And we could go over a number of verses on this as we think about this. But we're looking at the rapture now at this point. And so I don't know where I'm at. So he's coming again. Well, we want to look back. Like I, I do have a couple more verses since we're, but I don't know where it is. Here we go. Let's go to Titus. We didn't do that one second. No, Titus two. And it was eleven through fourteen on our doctrinal statement as references. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now what teaches us? The grace of God teaches us. The divine provisions gives us an, enables us to live victory over the power of sin ruling and live unto God. And it's by faith, moment by moment, reliance on the Lord teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, understanding what's going on, and we're in this spiritual battle. And we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be looking for that. Are you looking for that? Are you living in expectation of his coming? Turn, if you would, to First John and we want to look at uh, chapter 1. Oh, I think that might not be right. Chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And now little children, abide in him, walk in fellowship, 
have that faith response, faith reliance, that when he shall appear, the rapture, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We that have believed are the sons of God. And it doth not appear what we shall be. This is my mortal, corruptible body, and I have a sin nature yet. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He is coming. He's going to appear, and we are going to be changed. And he says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Well, how can I purify myself? I can't do that. But if I have my hope and confidence in Jesus Christ, if in my thinking I understand my problem with sin and the victory that he has given me by way of the new nature, the Holy Spirit, and live in light of his plans. If we take this information and we put it in our, we don't have it just as information, knowledge, but we put it in our heads so that this is wisdom, so that I am conscious of the fact of why I'm here. I'm conscious of my holy calling. I'm conscious of the fact that there's limited time. I'm conscious of the fact that the Lord could return today and live in light of that. That would have that impact of purifying me by the grace of God. That would put my thinking right in a yielded state, walking by faith. That's what he's talking about. And so if we would think on these things, he's coming again. He's coming again. Today, it's the next thing on the calendar event. Perhaps. I read a book, it's called In the Twinkling of an Eye. It was in Old English. It was an old book. And I had to read the sentences over sometimes two, three times because it was this really weird English. But this is what it had in the twinkling of an eye, today perhaps. I think Mr. Lehman talked about having that sign or someone having that sign where he worked above the door so that every time you looked up, you were reminded. We ought to be reminded every day. You ought to wake up and think about these things. I ought to. It's easy. We get distracted. The Lord could come back today. And then the rapture would occur. Our opportunity to serve God in the capacity that we have now as ambassadors of Christ is over. Seven-year tribulation period will start, but in that seven-year tribulation is concerning us will be this Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ with regards, to review, with regards to what you did with your life, with eternal ramifications, eternal rewards. Anything that we do on earth has eternal spiritual ramifications as we walk in the Spirit and our, and our failure to do so. That'll be one of the great things that takes place during that seven-year period. Another thing that I think is just fascinating or be tremendous to see is that in that period, as it begins, God the Son, who has taken this role of submission to God, yielded himself, and God is the administrator, 
be a change. There's this ceremony, you can read about it in Revelations, and it's mentioned in Daniel, where he has, is presently sitting on the right hand of God. He's waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. But after the church age, church age saints, the church is delivered unto God, delivered into heaven, there will be the next uh, part of the administrative plan where God will give the nod. That, that's insufficient. God will bestow upon his son the instruction, if you would, to reclaim the earth. And he will be glorified in that all power and, and, and is given to him, not intrinsically, but in terms of carrying out this part of the plan of God. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. And that will lead to the, the various um, judgments that will upon, fall upon the earth. And then another aspect will be on earth where we have uh, Satan will be Church is safely delivered. Satan will be allowed to seek to carry out his last attempt in establishing himself as God on earth, and we will have the Antichrist and the rising of that power and the signing of a contract with Israel starting the seven-year tribulation. And each of those subjects is covered as God tells us the beginning, the end from the beginning, and what will come to pass. But for today, this message, he is coming again. We sang those songs. Maybe today, maybe this morning, afternoon, evening. He's coming today. Oh, not he's coming soon. Maybe today. All right, let's pause for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for all that you've given. We pray that these things would sink in, that we wouldn't just have information but that this information would be lodged in our thinking, that we'd absorb it, that it would be turned into a form of wisdom where we are living in light of these truths, and that we are looking to you, we are looking to Christ for all things that are needed for this life, that we might live godly, that we might carry out your plans and purposes for us, and that we would be and are looking for that blessed hope what a day that will be when we that are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air along with the church-age believers and many of our loved, beloved friends, relatives, will be with and Paul and others who have gone before us. What a glorious day and the beginning of the next phase of your plan. Let, them sink, let this sink in. Thank you for the Precious Son, in Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder, there's a meeting for those helping with that youth retreat in August, right afterwards in the wing over there. So now if you would turn your blue book to 268 or your red book number 377. So that's blue, 268, red, 377. I'll have you stand up, please.
I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of His appearing will come at last. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within.